0: hello and welcome to the rewriters a celebration of people who have shirked convention expectation and even their own limitation to rewrite their story on their terms each episode will dig into the inspired and very real life stories of people who have done just that rewritten their story i'm a nosy practical optimist too so expect all of the nitty gritty details you're an ambitious seeker craving a different kind of lifestyle, career, or business, but have felt held back by your own or other people's beliefs about what's possible or permissible, The Rewriter's is for you. Hello everyone and welcome to today's Weekly Rewrite. I'm your host and resident rewriter, Monique Shaw. Now, I had planned to talk to you today about confidence and imposter syndrome. I wrote an article a couple of years ago about confidence and why we should stop trying to be confident and what we should do instead. And I'd kind of assumed that confidence and imposter syndrome were related topics. I hadn't really interrogated that assumption before. And as I sat down to put my thoughts to paper about imposter syndrome, which is something that I've spoken about less than confidence, I've spoken about confidence quite a bit, but I hadn't really spoken about imposter syndrome at length. So when I sat down, To think through imposter syndrome and tie the two things together, I realized that these two things were not necessarily related at all. At least it, it really wasn't clear to me. It wasn't cleanly clear to me how confidence and imposter syndrome linked together. Someone with imposter syndrome may have low confidence, but equally, I think someone with imposter syndrome could have really good confidence, really high confidence. People with imposter syndrome tend to be or are high achieving, ambitious people, and you often have to take risks and push beyond your limits to do those things, which is related to having higher higher confidence or at least having the courage to take those risks, which leads to higher confidence. So today I want to unpack confidence and imposter syndrome. I did initially think that this would be a conversation where I I covered both and provided some ways to grow confidence and deal with imposter syndrome, but I'm going to have to deal with them separately and I'll share why we should stop trying to be confident, the crux of the article that I wrote and what we should be doing instead, and then I'll do a deeper dive into imposter syndrome. Now the purpose overall of this is to provide you with some food for thought, some advice and some tools to help you or rather some some things that you can do to help you to go after what you want and to own your achievements, own your story, who you are and where you are and to feel good about these things and able to do whatever your what next is with courage, with confidence and with a sense of worthiness and belonging. So let's get started. First up, confidence. Now I'm going to link to my article on this topic in the show notes because that goes into more detail on my thoughts about this and it also provides some examples. But let me just share briefly how I think about and approach confidence. So this came up me uh, in my work and became an article pretty early on in my rewrite career so I started rewrite in early March 2020 and I wrote this article in April 2020 because it was something that people would ask me about a lot Um, and when I was starting the business I asked people that I trusted uh, a lot of colleagues you know what are some of the things that you get from me or relate with me that I could use to help my clients and confidence was one of those things A lack of confidence was also cited by my coaching clients and some people that I've mentored over the years as a reason for them not going after what they wanted or not taking the next big step in their career or indeed not having the career that they wanted, not feeling that they could go for it people would ask me, how do you become more confident? Or they would say, I want to grow my confidence or something that I want to work on in our work together is being more confident. Uh, I would hear people say that they do this particular thing that they wanted to do after they became more confident. And here's the thing what I found when I thought about this was that confidence is not the starting point at all. And confidence is so often what we fixate on. We think that that is the answer. We need to arrive at this point of more confidence and then we will be able to do the thing that we want to do. But confidence isn't the starting point. It's not the ingredient that we need before we do the thing. It's, it's the result. It's the byproduct of doing, of doing the thing. So we've got it back to front. We've got it the wrong way around. And what we need to be focusing on is not confidence, but courage. So if you sit around and wait for confidence to develop, how does it develop? So think about anything that you've done, anything at all. How did your confidence, and when I'm saying think about something that you've done, think about something that you've done where you have developed a sense of confidence around it, how did that confidence grow? Through doing, through practice, through repetition perhaps, through it becoming normal and second nature and easy and familiar. So some of the examples that I share in the article are around things like riding a bike or Being in a new office environment, you know, when you start a new job and everything feels a little bit labored and cumbersome and nothing feels natural, even down to, you know, getting up and going to use the bathroom or making yourself a coffee or putting your lunch in the fridge or finding a great place to go get your lunch, whatever, all of these things are outside of our comfort zone when we're in a new job because they're not normal or natural yet. They take time. It takes us You know, taking the action, doing the thing in order for it to become easy and second nature. So confidence grows through doing. Confidence is not the prerequisite for doing. Instead, draw on courage. So if you think instead instead of thinking about confidence, you're thinking about courage, you're more able to take action irrespective of how confident you're feeling. And taking that action over time leads to more confidence. When I talk about this, I'm also thinking about a client of mine in particular and also generally speaking, this client of mine in particular who, you know, she she understood the logic of that, but she struggled to, you know, take the action because she needed to work on her self-trust first. You know, she was a little bit fearful around taking courageous action, messy action, whatever you want to call it being courageous might be really tough for you and I don't want to encourage anyone to take risks that they're not comfortable with and I think we need to be really clear when we talk about comfort that there is a very big difference between you know feeling a little bit of discomfort healthy discomfort you know pushing against your edges stepping outside your comfort zone because you're growing and expanding you're taking a bit of a risk and a chance versus completely abandoning yourself pushing yourself way outside of your comfort zone right into the danger zone ignoring your gut silencing yourself and doing something that feels very unsafe for you because you feel like you have to so when I talk about like being courageous and taking action I'm talking about pushing against your edges I'm not talking about complete self abandonment and it's really important that you start to learn to tell the difference between the two. so take measured risks take things that are a little bit uncomfortable at the start not wildly uncomfortable now if courage is attainable to you pursue courage and let the confidence grow through that if courage isn't attainable for you at the moment or in a particular scenario where you want to grow co- uh, where you want to be, uh, where you want to grow confidence blimey honor that don't berate yourself okay instead of Focusing on building courage, focus instead on building your self-trust and knowing that you have your back and that you've got you if you do this scary thing and it's hard and it doesn't work out, you'll be there for yourself. So that's my 10 cents on confidence. Don't think about growing confidence. Think about finding courage. And if you need to, start with self-trust first. Now, imposter syndrome. Okay, so I need to read from my notes here, actually, because I drew from a number of articles for this episode, which I'm going to link to in the show notes. And these are Contextualizing the Imposter Syndrome by Feenstra et al., Prevalence Predictors and Treatment of Imposter Syndrome, a systematic review by Bravata et al., Feel Like a Fraud by Kirsten Weir, There's a Surprising Upside to Imposter Syndrome Research Shows by David Neilds. And how to overcome imposter syndrome by Jeremy Sutton PhD. So all of those are linked in the show notes, and I read all of those, and there were pieces from from each of those that inspired some of the things that I am talking to you about, and learned um, when preparing for this for this episode for this conversation. So imposter syndrome, also known as the imposter phenomenon, was introduced by psychologists Susan Imes, PhD, and Pauline Rose Clance, PhD, in the late 70s. I think it was 1978. It's a phenomenon where high achievers who are objectively successful, so on paper, you're looking at them, they are successful, but they are unable to own or internalize that success. So they feel like a fraud or an imposter, obviously. They may worry that they're going to be found out for the imposter that they are, that someone's going to come along one day and say, ha ha, we got you. You're not meant to be here. So tell me if this is familiar. You'll attribute your success to luck or some external factor. You know, you've got an opportunity because of someone that you know, or you were in the right place at the right time, or they were looking for people at that particular point. So it really had a lot. It really had very little to do with you. So you'll attribute your success to some external factor, but you'll readily attribute a setback or failure to yourself. So people with imposter syndrome who struggle with this syndrome can deeply internalize the failures, but cannot internalize and integrate the achievements and the successes. Those things remain outside and separate to themselves. So I had a lot of thoughts about imposter syndrome originally, and after reading all of the articles that I did um, for this episode, I still have those thoughts, but I have more thoughts, and I'm going to share both of them with you. So let me share first what I thought about imposter syndrome before all of my additional reading. Then I'm going to share what I've recently come to understand about it, and also some ways that you can do with it if it's something that you're struggling with. So what I thought about imposter syndrome before. One of the biggest things that I thought about imposter syndrome and think about imposter syndrome is that one of the dead giveaways for me that someone is not an imposter or a phony is that they worry they're an imposter. So someone who has faked or fluked their way into a particular position, they are not fretting about having the right skills and credentials. Okay, they are cool. They are just cruising through. Actual imposters don't waste their time worrying about being an imposter, They're too busy doing the thing, right? It's the people, those highly successful, well-credentialized, absolutely in the right position people who are struggling with imposter syndrome who are not the imposters, all right? So if you struggle with imposter syndrome, for me, it's evidence as far as I'm concerned that you are not an imposter, period. Another thing. People with imposter syndrome are extraordinarily good at their jobs. They are committed to continuous professional development and they have high integrity. So people who are preoccupied with knowing enough, with feeling like they're not enough and trying to know more, they are not people who are cutting corners or cheating the system, okay? They are really, really trying. They are working. So if you struggle with imposter syndrome... I'm pretty sure that you are excellent at your job, very committed, and operate with high integrity and a high sense of accountability within your organization, within your team, within your industry. People at all levels struggle with imposter syndrome. So imposter syndrome is not something that is delegated for those people lower down the food chain. I hate saying that. People who are in positions of less power. Uh, who feel like they're they're not there yet. They're not enough yet. In fact, it's people at all levels. Your bosses, the people who inspire you, uh, celebrities. Michelle Obama is someone who comes to mind. She struggles with imposter syndrome. She was very open about that. Chances are the people that you look up to are struggling with or have struggled with imposter syndrome. They are probably struggling with it now. It's very common. A quote I read about imposter syndrome recently was that imposter syndrome is both common and irrational. People around you are struggling with this too. And it can feel really isolating and solitary, but many, many, many people are struggling with it. In fact, um, uh, one of the uh, papers that I was looking at <clears throat> was like a, a, a review across a number of different academic papers on the topic. And the range of um, occurrences was something like, 5% to 80%. It wasn't those figures, but it was something like that. It was, you know, something as small as 5 or 7% of people right through to as high as 80%, 85% of people have struggled with this or do struggle with this. So there's a big range, but it is very common and it is irrational. The other thing about imposter syndrome is it really doesn't hold up to scrutiny. So like my episode about making decisions for other people in your career, and I'll link to that in the show notes as well. Imposter syndrome relies on a lot of unchecked assumptions. It relies on a lot of stories we make up about ourselves and our situation that are simply unchecked. They are untrue and irrational. So here's what I've learned about imposter syndrome from the articles that I cited earlier. And this is the big one for me. There is a really big piece here about inclusion and belonging. So initially, it was thought that imposter syndrome was something women struggled with. I think the two psychologists that initially came up with this term, and I haven't read their work, so I don't quote me directly, but I think their work was about this being a phenomenon that impacted women. But it does occur in men as well. And one of the episodes that I did with Dr. Parth Shah, we spoke about his imposter syndrome. And on paper, he has achieved all sorts of external success Um, he's a man and he struggled with imposter syndrome so it's something that affects men and it affects women it occurs across genders across age groups across ethnicities across sexuality now although not definitive a lot of studies found higher occurrence in marginalized groups women ethnic minorities and i imagine class sexuality and age as well this makes a lot of sense to me So it isn't definitive. There's no sort of, you know, it's not that every single study comes back and says, if you are in a minority group, you are more likely to suffer or struggle with imposter syndrome. But I believe this to be quite logical. This makes sense to me. I think that there's a case to say that if you are in a marginalized group, you are more likely to struggle with this. It's the people who are outside the norm. And the norms within that space, that organization, you know, whatever situation or scenario or environment you're operating in. If they don't have that inbuilt automatic sense of belonging, they're not automatically included or surrounded by people who look and speak like them, they are more likely to feel like outsiders and more likely to feel like imposters. Now, when I first started working in London, I had worked in the UK before, I had worked up north in Yorkshire, I'm Australian, so my working experience was Australia and then Bradford in the, in West Yorkshire. When I worked in London for the first time, I had real culture shock. I worked at an asset management firm and one of the most jarring things that I noticed literally within the first hour of my first job in the city was the accents People in positions of power spoke one way and people in lower level or administrative positions had a different accent. Now, if you don't live in the UK or you don't have much, if you're not familiar with the UK, you know, the UK class system was on full display to me that day. It was very clear where people came from or what kind of education they had or what kind of background they had by the way that they speak and that was also reflected in the roles that they had and it was it was really uncomfortable for me i'd be i'll be really honest with you i hadn't experienced that in the north of england where a lot of people the majority of people spoke at least the people that i worked with spoke with a regional accent and there didn't seem to be that divide and certainly i didn't experience that in australia either so imagine a woman sitting at a boardroom table or a person of color or someone who grew up on a council estate, someone who is gay, and every other person at that table is white, male, cis or cis-presenting, middle class, raised and educated to believe that they belong there, they have a right to be there. So who is the odd one out? Who is the person more likely to question their validity? Okay, okay. That's not to say that those people will automatically have imposter syndrome and that the dudes around the table won't, but it does make a case for why the likelihood is higher in some than it is in others. So my point is, imposter syndrome isn't something that's entirely intrinsic. It's irrational, yes, because under scrutiny, your skills and experience will stack up to your right to be there, but there are external factors at play and they shouldn't be ignored. The culture or team that you work in may be reinforcing feelings of otherness and it may be a ripe breeding ground for imposter syndrome. Now, if you're an employer listening to this or a team leader or someone with influence over how people at work feel, their sense of belonging, have more conversations about imposter syndrome. Open the dialogue up. As with so many things, this stuff is better out than in. We shouldn't deal with it alone and we shouldn't continue to imagine that it's just us because it's really not and it absolutely shouldn't be. Another thing about imposter syndrome, and this didn't surprise me at all, people struggling with imposter syndrome exhibit higher levels of social skills. They are good team players. They are concerned with other people and they're not self-interested, so if you think if you think about yourself in terms of having imposter syndrome or struggling with imposter syndrome, you can reframe this right now and think, OK, well, I've got high social skills. I'm, I've got high integrity. I'm clearly committed to continuous personal uh, development. I'm a good team player. You know, there are some pros here. OK, what else did I learn? Uh, links to perfectionism. So if you struggle with one, you're more likely to struggle with the other perfectionism is about never being good enough or the thing that you're doing never being enough and imposter syndrome is about not being good enough right it's not being qualified enough not being experienced enough both of them are about it not being enough or you not being enough it's never quite perfect it's never quite done Now, these people who struggle, it might be you, that struggle with perfectionism, struggle with imposter syndrome, you may have received mixed messages from parents who expected a lot of you and they gave you messages of both extreme praise and criticism. You were praised for achieving, but also told that you needed to do more. And we also live in a society that praises achievement and success above all else, while also reminding us that we're not enough. As I get to the close of the episode, I'm going to share some ideas around how to move away from that perfectionism too, as part of the ways that you can overcome or start to move through your imposter syndrome struggles. So people who struggle with imposter syndrome also rarely ask for help. Now, I can speculate that this could be for fear of being found out, but I imagine it's also a form of self-punishment having such high expectations on oneself that we should know the answer. If we were good enough, right enough, we would know. Okay, so how then does confidence and imposter syndrome intersect? Well, as I said at the top of the episode, I don't think that they necessarily do, but where I think they could is around this worthiness piece, is around the enoughness. I'm worth going for this thing. I'm enough to be here. And the other thing that connects these two things is is that the repair is gradual and it occurs over time. So light growing confidence requires us to take courageous action, to step outside of our comfort zones, to trust that we will be okay and to have our own backs. And over time, we move into a state of greater comfort and confidence Dealing with imposter syndrome requires us to take repeated steps over time to move into a state of enoughness, to really internalize and own our achievements and our successes. So here are some things that you can do. First things first, get factual. So scrutinize your assumptions about yourself, about your skills, about the situation. Interrogate your thinking. Do you really not have the skills and experience to be where you are? And according to whom? Compared to what? Get very, very factual about your skills. In fact, write it down on paper. Okay, look at it in black and white. Next, remember to stop making decisions for other people. You're in the position that you're in because you were selected. So whether you're employed, self-employed, elected, someone has selected you as their employee, their team lead, their representative, their consultant, whatever. Trust that they know what they're doing and don't make decisions for them about you. For the perfectionists, if you have a tendency towards perfectionism, Aim for done over perfect. Now, I know that that is said a lot and it's all very well for for me, who is not a perfectionist, to say that. It's harder to do, okay? But really the goal here is to accept that there really is never a complete and defining finish. Okay, if you go into something knowing that there is no definitive end where you will reach the finish line and the heavens will open up and the angels will sing, la. You know, there is just a moment where we have done enough, where it makes more sense to stop than it does to continue, where the ratio of effort to impact significantly diminishes and it's time to turn it in and move on to the next thing. So I'm not asking you to stop being a perfectionist. What I'm suggesting is that you experiment with stopping before you're ready and seeing if the world ends. Okay, this is one that will take practice and experimentation. So consider it a data gathering exercise. You're not letting your standards slip. You're just being very smart with your resources. Next, ask for help. So if you are resistant to asking for help, then this one is a no-brainer. Ask for help. What is the solution for struggling with asking for help? Well, it's asking for help. People love to give their advice and their two pennies worth. So ask for their input. If you're unsure about something, ask someone else. You can pick their brain. You can ask for their advice. You can ask them to cast their eyes over something. You can ask them what they might do in a situation that you're struggling with. I guarantee it will create a better result for you. And it will help you to build an ally in the person who guided you because you get their buy-in too. They want you to be successful in whatever it is that you're trying to do because they're a part of it now internalize your achievements so if you struggle with imposter syndrome this will be something that you find impossible to do so you need to actively push against that tendency if you've achieved something if you're doing something congratulate yourself internalize the compliments if somebody says really great job say thank you you know i appreciate that i'm really proud of this work celebrate yourself celebrate the win and do it often okay practice that muscle and then finally Talk to other people. In the group work that I do on my Rewrite Your Career Story coaching program, this is the thing that is the most powerful, okay? More than my content, more than my coaching, it's when people hear their story in someone else's story. When they see someone who they perceive as successful and having it all together, when they see them sharing a vulnerability, it's extremely powerful for them because they've often made some assumptions about them compared to the other people in the group, And they realize that actually, you know, we're all struggling with the same stuff. The shared story and experience is wonderful. It connects us and it lightens the load. So share yours. You don't know who you're walking around with at the moment who is also struggling with this stuff. Okay, that is it for this week. I really hope you enjoyed it. If you're not already subscribed to my newsletter, The Weekly Rewrite, then stop what you're doing immediately and sign up. The link is in the show notes. Each week, I share ideas and resources to help you create a work life that works for you. And if there's a topic that you would like me to talk about, I might already know about it. I might have to do a little bit of desk research to get my ideas together. But drop me an email at hello at rewriterewrite.com and let me know what you would like to hear me talk about in one of my future weekly rewrite episodes. Okay, see you soon, rewriters. Bye. The Rewriters is produced, written, and presented by Monique Shaw, original artwork by Kiana Perry, and original music by DJ Cinnamon.